All right, welcome to another episode of TV Scan Stories, where neighbors meet neighbors. Today we have Henry Gelband, right? A TV Scan resident since 1996. He was a UM professor of pediatrics, focusing on cardiology with children. He's also a veteran who was a Marine from 1959 to 1965. Henry, how are you doing today? Thank you for you. joining us on the show. Enjoy being here. It's uh, it's funny. I met Henry when we were looking for apartments in Key Colony, and then he was casually enjoying a nice cigar in the beautiful afternoon in one of the amazing gardens of Key Colony. And that's when I saw his hat, and I had to approach him to thank you for his service. And that's how we started a conversation. So, Henry, tell us a little bit about your story. How how did it all start? Well, I was born in Vienna, Austria, in 1936. Uh, for those who don't, in addition, that makes me 86 years old, and I've had a relatively full life. Uh, if you recall, Austria was annexed by Germany, the Nazi regime, in uh, March of 1938, and the war, World War II, didn't initially start until September of 1939. So for that roughly year and a half, uh, I was, my whole family was oppressed by the uh, quasi-Nazi regime in Vienna. My father was taken to Dachau in late March of uh, 1939, and for whatever reason, we really don't know. Uh, he was released about five months later, and he and my Mother and sister made our way to Portugal via Switzerland uh, and waited uh, to leave Europe. You've mentioned your father was sent to Dachau. What was in Dachau? I think about four to five months. I was only two years old, actually one year old when uh, he was taken to Dachau. So I'm not very knowledgeable about the reasons why and well, I can assume the reasons why being an entrepreneur, a Jewish entrepreneur. We ended up in Havana, Cuba in 1938 and lived there for approximately two years until a visa became available and we entered the United States through uh, Key West. I still have those immigration papers. Nice. (laughs) Make a long story short, we eventually ended up in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, My father was a very nationalistic person, and uh, within months, he learned uh, English, that he was able to communicate, opened a little store that sold the ladies' hats. Make I entered school. Uh, as you recall, my father uh, changed my name. My nickname now is Heinz, H-E-I-N-Z, like the ketchup. And because nobody really was very sympathetic to the Germans in the 19, early 1940s, he changed it to Henry, and I went to school, learned English, etc. I guess because of our economic situation growing up in Newark, uh, relatively frugal, 
learn the wisdom of you want to do something or buy something, work for it. And I sort of shined shoes uh, at a Catholic uh, church before Mass to get enough 10-cent shoe shines to go to the movies on a Sunday afternoon. And my father was extremely nationalistic, always wearing a little American flag in his lapel before it became popular by the politicians of the 80s, 90s. Uh, and I grew up very nationalistic. Growing up in uh, northern New Jersey, got very well, very good schooling. Uh, when, by the time I got to high school, uh, I was getting good grades. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I already knew I wanted to be two things. One, a teacher or a doctor. Uh, have something to do with uh, the military. Went on to college outside of uh, in Washington, Pennsylvania, little liberal arts school, on a free ride with a scholarship, total scholarship. Worked in the fraternity, washing dishes two weeks a, a month to get my meals free. Towards Sunday school on Sunday mornings at two dollars and fifty cents an hour. Again for a few dollars, uh, and just loved college. Uh, growing up in Northern Jersey, I was sort of street smart, and I was able to become president of fraternity and get into medical school also on a totally free ride from through scholarships. One of the interesting things is that medical school for me was $880 a year. Today, it's University of Miami, I believe, is in the $50,000 range. Incredible. I use that as a comparison of what uh, people are going through today trying to get an education. The other thing, obviously, uh, never had a car until I was 26. Did rent a car in the summer to work. While in college, I joined the Rotacy and Actually, it was the Navy Road to Sea because the Marine Corps didn't have it at that time. And uh, that's how I had my military background by the time I graduated and became an officer, an ensign. Anyway, my idea of going to middle school evolved about uh, also getting money from living, etc. And unfortunately, my mother had passed away a few years before. So it was just my sister and I and my dad. Uh, Anyway, four years later, my father passed away, and uh, I went on and, and just continued my military training and military obligation at the same time, uh, still wishing to go and finish medical school. The reason I'm so big on the military, obviously one of the benefits was that I got $300 a, a month tax-free in uh, the 60s, so when I went to medical school, I uh, really was supported by the military, which I'm grateful for. Uh, continued my education uh, once I got out. Uh, ended up at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York for pediatric training. 
for two years, and then I went to Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York, New York for four years to accomplish uh, uh, my pediatric cardiology training, and then I did two years of pediatric cardiology research on arrhythmias in children. In 1971, I was enticed to come to the University of Miami with five of my associates. Cardiology at the VA was my lab partner at Columbia. My boss at Columbia became head of pediatric cardiology at the University of Miami. Another pediatric cardiologist became associate dean and the head of anesthesia at Columbia became the dean of the medical school, vice president of medical affairs. Uh, and a few other people came down and we sort of had a great 50 years there doing research, teaching, and seeing patients. Why did you focus in cardiology in children? I just found out really the most interesting and fascinating. Uh, my main interest was the rhythm disturbances in children which really was a sort of an unknown area. My father had had a heart attack when he was in the early 50s, and maybe that's why I focused on cardiology. But I always knew I want, I had a tremendous love for children. So I put the two together. In fact, if I could digress, I would say four of every five days from about 10 to 11.30, I play, for the lack of a better word, with the uh, two- and three-year-olds at Key Biscayne. Uh, they have a little uh, playground with jungle gyms, et cetera, and I go there in the mornings and play with the kids. I just, just love the two- and three-year-olds. For those that don't know, what do you mean by rhythm disturbances in children? Well... Like a PVC or...? yeah. But also fast heart rates, slow heart rates. It's a lot more common than people think. The sudden death. Uh, the guy, the football player that dropped dead on the field the other day, uh, the other week, okay. uh, Daimler or whatever his name is, those were our interests at the time. And can you tell me a little bit how you coming down to UM with your colleagues and how did you, how does a connection with Kibi Skein, like, was it right away? You came down and you started working at UM and you chose Kibi Skein as your first residence? Or? No. They, uh, and also, should digress, uh, in my senior year of college, I went to our Thanksgiving football game, high school football game, and I saw this little cheerleader. And I asked my friend, what's her name? Called her up, took her out. And three years later, I married her. Wonderful. Uh, well, we, I graduated, she graduated Vassar. Uh, I had graduated medical school. So we got married that summer. And uh, that sort of was my steadfast uh, middle years. Do you have any children? Three boys later. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they all were born pretty quickly. Actually, uh, two of them were born when I was in the Marine Corps in California. Um, and we're still close. I have dinner with one of them that lives uh, also on Key Biscayne. 
the other one lives on an island in St. Croix in the Virgin Islands, and the third one is uh, up in North Carolina. Nice. Or they're all almost 60. Yeah. Do you guys get together? Does he cook? Do you cook? Or just go out, out of town? I usually go out. That's one of the tragedies in my life. My wife uh, developed cancer at 32, uh, the breast. She succumbed to cancer of the ovary 10 years later. That was tough. And uh, I lived in the house where we, when we first moved in, I lived in uh, what's Pine Crest, uh, Palmetto. At that time, I guess now it's Palmetto Bay, 100, Cole Cutler and 150th. And a couple of years after Andrew, 96, four years after Andrew, I figured it was time to sell the house and move. I found Key Biscayne. And I don't regret that move. I've seen a lot of changes in Key Biscayne, uh, both good and bad. Uh, obviously, I love the influx of the younger families. Uh, when I first moved here, I thought I was one of the youngest. Uh, but I sort of, mind my own business, uh, kept out of the politics, not really interested in the little squabbles that go on. And as you know, as well as I do, the situation today is I think we're overpopulated, over-vehicularized, uh, especially now with the kids with the motorbikes and motor scooters and everything else. Oh, you mean overpopulated here in the key, like with the, yeah. like, okay, like we're very dense with a lot of... Well, you know, it's a, it's a relatively wealthy community by far. And obviously, everyone's got minimum one car, most of the families, two cars, most of the families, two cars, a golf cart, and their kids have motor scooters. So I think there's too many gas guzzlers on the, on the key or electric, electricity guzzlers on the key. I understand. Let's take a little pause. Well, I gave up driving at night because I don't see these kids or people. I really don't. On their bikes, schools. Okay. That's right. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Let's uh, let's take a little break. So we're, we're moving into politics, but which is which is fine. We talked. You gave me a great um, breakdown of your history. You know, um, we talked a little bit about your service. We're going into the key. Should I ask you about anything in particular you want to talk about regarding politics? We also you also mentioned you wanted to share your sentiments on like. The situation national, that national. Yeah. I can ask you about that. Well, you can ask me uh, mention the land of opportunity, and I think I'm a great example of it. You know, coming to United States, you know, also the whole Cuban population to me is very intriguing because if you think of what has happened since 1960, that it's true. You know, within 20 years, by 1980, they had their own newspaper, Spanish newspaper. Yes. Yeah. In, in, in Miami? Miami. My radio stations, accountants, banks, 
education people. I mean, yes, the very bright and richest came from Cuba in 1960, uh, but it's an amazing exodus from there and immigration here as a group. So there is tremendous opportunity. And now in, in 2020, you look at it, you know, they run Southern Florida, you know, economically, uh, politically. Uh, and I think it's an amazing thing that the, this, this land, I hope they appreciate it as much as I do. And I think that opportunity you know, that they gave me and others like me. Uh, okay, perfect. So I can ask you about that and then you could respond in a similar fashion. I love it, you know. That's why, yeah. But let, let me ask you first. So give me give me three seconds. Sure. So you mentioned about U.S. being the land of opportunity. What did you mean by that exactly? Well, if you look at my history and history of other populations that have come to the United States, most, if not all, have succeeded. Uh, I guess the best example in South Florida would be the Cuban exodus from Cuba in 1960. Within 20 years or so, uh, there was Spanish newspapers, Spanish ba Hispanic banks, Hispanic lawyers, doctors, radio stations, TVs, etc. And I think that people should understand that this is a land of opportunity. You can achieve an awful lot with very little to start with. Uh, there's so many avenues of scholarship available, dollars available, forgetting the government with subsidizing everything and everybody who really needs it. Uh, it is a true land of opportunity, and I would wish that everyone really took advantage of it. If you really look at the history, when I got out of the service in 1965 and Vietnam was just starting, the national opinion of us veterans at that time, especially against the uh, make love, not war population, was, I mean, veterans, disabled veterans were spit on, never welcomed, wouldn't get jobs, etc. And today, I look forward to people stopping. The reason I wear my hat is I look forward to stopping, being stopped by people and saying thank you for a service. It's an appreciative thing, and it's just my. It was my way of giving back, for what the states gave me. I, I can get more emotional about it, but I don't think I will. Uh, I don't think it's appreciated as much by the general population as it should be. I'm I'm with you. I think that every every opportunity that I get when I see the hat, you know, it's to to thank you for your service. Because in in my eyes, it's like you you're putting your life on the line so that we can continue to do what we do in this country. Well, put it this way: I didn't have to put my life on the line. I mean, closest I came was in the hills of Guantanamo with the Cubans up on the hill, and we the Marines down at the bottom of the hill with only six rounds of ammunition. That's the truth. But, uh, you know, so, and uh, we had some lieutenant colonel who's kept saying, requesting attacking. He was out of his mind as far as from a military aspect, as far as I was concerned. He was requesting to attack the... The Cubans. Like he was in the... In the, in the hill. He knew <laughs> that the 101st Airborne was ready to fly from 
George Earl, which we didn't know. Uh, so, but anyway. Uh, well, I mean, even though you didn't necessarily put your life on the line right away, conflict can happen at any time. All right. I guess the first example is here I came here, my father with zero dollars, truths, 80 some odd, 80 years later, I'm sitting here talking to you and having a great life as far as I'm concerned. Worked for 50 years, retired, enjoying it, free of speech. This is an example of, and people should really appreciate that the sky is blue today. And they don't. I understand. I understand 100%. Would you say that, I guess, your dad's nationalistic spirit inspired you and, and like he instilled that in you and then that what took you to join the Army? Well, yes and yes. Uh, he never spoke of what went on in those years when uh, the Nazis were enveloping Europe or his experiences. But I know that he, it must have been agonizing because his parents, my mother's parents, and all the rest of the family of those that did not immigrate probably ended up murdered in the camps. Uh, he supported the, the war uh, we rarely talked about it, but I think that was his way of uh, trying to separate his life from, and then from what was going on. Uh, I just grew up very independently then. He went to work every day, especially after my mom died, because he went to work every day, and I was growing up with my sister. I was 13, she was 14 and a half, and we just had each other, and we had to make do. So I was relatively independent uh, in formative years. As a teenager, uh, you know, I used to take my father's car when I was 15 years old illegally and drive. Uh, I knew it was wrong, but I wanted to be the big man on the block. So I picked up some of my friends and we went around until the police caught us. <laughs> Didn't do that again. I, I did. My father just had a look at me. I knew I would never do it again. And, so yeah. you grew up. You grew up fast. Very fast. I think we had to. I think a lot of kids had to. Don't forget, kids were going into the war when they were seventeen, eighteen years old. Today, seventeen years old, seventeen year olds doesn't care about anything except can he get a joint on Friday night. Or go to a bar and meet a nice lady. I mean, times were different. Times were different. I don't think they're much better, but times were different. So going back to your time in, in Guantanamo, is there any stories that you replay in your mind often about what happened? Maybe something funny, maybe something serious, something you could share with us? Well, as you know, military operations uh, take time. Good example will be the Gulf War. We announced it. We're going to go to the Gulf in three quick Q8, and yet it took us six months just to get there. And it was the same thing at Guantanamo. 
the rest of our ammunition and stuff got there anywhere from 10 days to six weeks later. Obviously, Khrushchev sort of stopped his aggressiveness there, took out the, the rockets. So the Seabees built us a little shack on the beach. And for the next four weeks, all we did was sit on the beach and drink beer. Who's a Seabee? They were swimming in the Caribbean. Swimming in the... But when you mentioned who who built you the shacks? The CB, the construction battalion. Ah, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, they put, they took some, quant, built so like a Quonset hut, put a bar in front of it, and you see a thousand Marines sitting on the beach drinking beer. I mean, uh, things were cheap then, too. Oh, God. Cigarettes were a buck a carton. It's a penny a piece. <laughs> wow. Well, that's the military. You know, they got special rates, but penny a piece. That's, that's when I started smoking cigars. Yeah, you because know, I think they were two cents, three cents a piece. And originally, the, the mission of going to Guantanamo, what was the original? Because of the tension that was happening? Yes. Uh, Khrushchev was sending missiles. Yeah. To Cuba, and uh, Kennedy declared a blockade. We were there Friday. Kennedy made his speech in the blockade on three days later on Monday. And uh, in case there somehow was a fire action anytime between the two, the blockade ships and the Khrushchev ships, et cetera, they would have blown into a little escalation. And that's still a threat. You know, I don't know if I'm a hawk today. Uh, I know I'm, I'm happy we're sending tax, tanks to the Ukraine, but I don't know what's ever going to happen between us and Russia or us and China or us and North Korea. We've always got crazy people in the world. I don't know why we can't leave. leave excuse me. How, you don't know, how old are you? I'm 35. Do you, do you realize in your 35 years, that's a relatively long time, mm -hmm. there hasn't been more than maybe a month when the one country wasn't shooting at another? Think about it. Around the world. Around the world. There has been conflict nonstop. Yeah, you're right. I mean, go back to the Vietnam War. Since then, it's been going on. Outside of Korea, which ended in 53, Truce has never been signed, or a truce has, but a treaty has never been signed. With the, North, with the North Koreans. With the North Koreans. And that's 70 years ago when it was over, 53, exactly. And since then, outside of that area, you know, we've always been there. You know, we stuck our nose some places and some other countries were sticking their nose. The Middle East has been going crazy for how many years? Uh, Turkey and the Kurd, I mean, go anywhere you want. South America, Central America. People don't understand. The world's so beautiful. Why shoot each other? I mean, I, I, India and Pakistan, you know, they're both Muslims as far as I'm concerned. They're both, you know, Shiite, Muslim, you know. To me, they're the same. They're just people. 
Yeah, I am getting away from what you really want to hear, but no, no, it's still, interesting. It's, it's your story. It's your story. It's it's about you and and uh, as for us to get to know you, you know. If I have any true message, I would tell the ten to fifteen year olds: be strong, be wise, do three things every day. One, learn something. Two, think every day, and three, laugh every day and take advantage of those three things to build your future. There should be nothing that should be able to stop you. The opportunities are all here. Especially here, no, for, for kids and families living in the key, the amount of resources and, and tools to our disposal to do all those things, laugh, enjoy every day. It's... Oh, no, the key is an ideal place. You know, you asked me, why did I move here? One, it was very close to work. But two, what they do for the kids and what they do for the adults with the community service and all the sports. I had baseball teams when I first moved here. I coached baseball teams. Nice. Oh, you know what we had for the gas station? Uh, that's now going to be a playground. or something. Yes, there used to be a gas station there. Yeah, that was an Amico gas station. Oh, man, I, I don't remember the name, but I remember there being a gas station, just like there used to be another supermarket where CVS is. Yeah, that was sort of with a K, I think. King Kong or something, I don't know. <laughs> no, you know, like I said, growth is growth. You can you know, things have changed and they're going to change. And the more people, the, the, the more taxes, the more money's made, the more chances for graft the more chances for bad politics. I mean, if I had nothing to do, you know, I don't have, but if I had as a, more of a detective, I would go and investigate every condo manager that's on the key. And I'm willing to bet one out of three lives better than his salary. In other words, insinuating that he gets his house painted by the people who paint the condo, or his lawn is done by the same people who do the condo's lawn. You know, little, little extra things. Some people would say that's the American widow. That's the American widow. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, the story about these five Afro-American policemen beating up another Afro-American, it hurts me. I mean, I have no more love for Afro Americans than I do for Italians, Asians, etc. But why? I don't understand. Yeah. So, circling back a little bit more on on Key Biscayne and and your love for the community and and for children and your work that you've done there with your studies in in cardiology and. Um, so your life here in the key, like you see, you've been here for since twenty five years. For twenty since for twenty five years. So you said you've taught, you've taught, you've coached. Sorry, you've coached baseball. Yep. Have you done any other related community activities through your years? Oh, well, I used to belong to the community and do do my laps there. I just went back and forth, back and forth. Uh, I just, I mean, I look at the calendar every day and. I just think it's amazing uh, what the, the opportunities that all age groups on the key have. Uh, and 
probably to me, that's one of the biggest aspects of the positive things that happen on the key. Uh, on the other hand, why you have to pay 60 cents a gallon more at the two gas stations c compared to, you know, that bothers the hell out of us. <laughs> you know? I understand what you mean, yeah. You know, I, you know, and people that buy there obviously can afford it, but a lot of people can't. Yeah, it's not like, it's not like the key was like, you know, like 25 miles away from the mainland. Are there other veterans also living in the key that there's, mingle with? There's a lot of them. The, 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 on 4th of July, uh, Veterans Day, they had this little they do. thing. I'll be very honest. I don't go. Uh, I sort of stay home and do my thing by myself. I do that with my the tragedies I had, my wife's death, my mother's death. I don't have to go to a place of worship and with 40 other people. I just try to keep those things for myself. Yes, they are. There's a, a nice group of veterans here. Uh, they're very active. They really are. And veterans' wives, too. Okay. And I hope it's not dwindling. I, I guess we'll have to. That's my fault. Like I say, I don't. I mean, I, I, I'm not one of these to I'm not a joiner. That's fine. You know, uh, society's filled with all sorts of people that do all sorts of things, and that's what makes us great. You know, we do all sorts of stuff. You do your thing, we do our thing, and if we can do our thing together, great. If not, you know, you do your thing. But I support my ideals without joining. My best, best example is religion. I will support a lot of Jewish things, but that doesn't mean I go to temple every week. That's if I don't. That's fair. So talking about that, like, can you describe to us what, what is like a good weekend for you in the key or how does your week look like? What are the things you like to do in the key? Well, that depends if I have a girlfriend or not. Okay. Let's, and, let's, and what can be censored or not. Well, <laughs> let's do the, let's do the, the, well, let's do, what would you do with a girlfriend? But obviously, yeah. within the confined space of well, Kiwi's gay stories. Is no, I, I, I think one because of uh, if it's not available on a key, uh, it's available very close by. You want to see good theater on a Saturday night, you can do that. Uh, just playing, go to a movie, you can stay, you, you can do that. But I think my ideal would be, believe it or not, just get up on a Saturday morning, have a nice breakfast. You know, one egg over, maybe a donut gallery, a uh, couple cups of coffee, ash browns, uh, come back, read the newspaper, smoke a cigar while I'm walking and people are looking at me smoking a cigar and, and trying to get a little exercise. Uh, in the afternoon, maybe going down to Key game Beach. Uh, not the key this game, but Key Colony Beach, interacting with uh, some of the people. I do that less today because I do not speak Spanish. So I have, have it's changed. We grew up playing that in New York and New Jersey. I can't ball that one wall paddle, the true wooden paddle, then they went to racket. Uh, I find, you know, when I was a little 10 years younger, I used to ride my bike through Crandon. Uh, I would stop and have coffee, my second cup of coffee, that 
little stall they have on, on uh, Cranon Park, just north of the old zoo. Uh, I say, I am not lonely. I could be by myself and meditate and think and read now. You have your son who lives in the Key? I have a son that's just moved to the Key. He's in his 50s. He's getting married for the first time. I mean. And uh, so we have dinner once a week. Uh, and I have a grandson that lives on Brickle, and he tries to join us once a week. And I keep in touch with my kids pretty much. Good. Um, Let's take another. I, I mean, I think I, I appreciate less than a normal person. I mean, I didn't drive, I didn't walk here, but I could just walk now back and appreciate saying hello to people, seeing some ibis walking around, uh, whatever. You know, it doesn't have to be a band playing. I, but again, there's so much to do here. I mean, they can go to movies that the community center puts on, the, sh the shows that they take you to. You know, there's more to do than people think. They should I mean, if you are involved you and you check the calendar, you see that the Chamber of Commerce calendar is active. You have the community center. You have the village. You have a lot of... Um, I guess, ways to see all the things that we're doing. And if you are on top of it on social media and the websites, there's there's a lot of things to do. And the businesses, businesses sometimes they do, the, they have bands, they have artists. The only disadvantage living on the key is like what happened yesterday with the plane crashing over there. Yeah. If, if you had a hot date, you know, fall out there with somebody, you ain't going to make it, <laughs> you know. And that happens, unfortunately, you know, when it happens once a year, it's a lot. Yeah. But it happens. And I, I mean, I used to love the tennis tournament when they had it here. Mm -hmm. But coming from work at, at six o'clock was a killer. <laughs> you know, because the first session ended, new one starting, and you were backed up all the way almost to the toll or back into Key Biscayne. But that, you take the good with the bad. It was nice to have the tournament in when we had it. So one of the closing questions we have here on Kibiscan Stories is what is your favorite part about Kibiscan? In a nutshell, the people. Yeah. For the most part, uh, if you eliminate some of the teenagers, <laughs> uh, for the most part, most people say, even tourists uh, this time of year will say, Good morning, Howard. Have a good day. Uh, the ability to get anything you want on the key that, that you may need, be it food, clothes, uh, electronics, what, what, you know, whatever you need is available. Uh, and uh, I guess also the closeness to the mainland, that if you have to go off and fight, the traffic in downtown Miami, you're relatively close. Like I said, one of the reasons I moved here is to be uh, 12 minutes from my job for the last 50, 20 years. Uh, the atmosphere, uh, I think what, what's good about the key 
definitely is much more than what I'd find bad about the key. Uh, what's bad about the key is tolerable. What's good about the tea is fantastic. I also want to take a, um, a moment to thank G3 Touring for lending us their space. My friend Juan is amazing and, and letting me use his space on Sundays to record. But Henry, it has been great to have you on the show, get your story of how you started here and the key, everything from, from the beginning to your service. So thank you for your service again. You know, it's, it's always great to be able to see um, veterans wearing their hats, giving us an opportunity to, to thank you. So and thank you again for jumping on the show and joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you.